We're going to uh, look at a few verses from the Proverbs. Now come up behind me. Proverbs chapter 14, there's three verses. I want you to listen to these. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Verse 31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Very, very striking verses. It's talking about being very dismissive of people. Now, something happened uh, a few uh, weeks ago on a Sunday. Uh, Wednesday. It was a, in fact, it wasn't a Sunday. It was a Wednesday night at a prayer meeting. And um, what happened was, at the end of the meeting, I'm going to talk to Chris on the sound desk. And as I'm going to talk to him, um, Annette was coming behind me. And I, 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 there was something I wanted to talk to Chris about. And I made a fatal mistake. It was a schoolboy error, I admit it. I've paid the price over these last few weeks. What happened was Annette was coming, and I thought I just needed to talk to Chris. It was quite important. So I turned, and I just went like this. Shh, shh, like that. It was wrong. I publicly apologize. Boy, have I not heard the end of it. When I got home that night, when I walked in, Annette went, shh, go on then. Don't you dare do that to me. So every, probably every few days, something like that will happen. I'll say something and she will just shoo me away. It is so easy to be dismissive of people. You see, these three proverbs talk about uh, not just being dismissive, but they talk about, we use these words like shunning. It's something that's progressive, it's shunning and it develops into despising and even oppressing the poor and the needy. It's so easy to have the wrong attitude. God is not impressed. You know, in the run-in to this general election, there are all sorts of legitimate issues over immigration, over the cost of health care and welfare, and they've all uh, uh, generated intense debate. And yet some of the language that we uh, hear in the media has been unhelpful and on occasions inflammatory. The rhetoric stirs up resentment, about something that is far more complex. We are in danger of losing sight of being compassionate and the need to be compassionate. I was talking to a neighbor uh, this last week and was, she was talking to me about her husband who has just passed away, died last week. And uh, was talking about the health care that he has received, the care he's received from the health service, and was saying how outstanding it has been. And he has been uh, in hospital in the general and been having blood transfusions probably every week or 10 days for a number of years. 
and uh, the, the, the people who've been looking after him in the hospital uh, have been uh, from all sorts of nations, but in particular she referred to some of the nurses that have come, have been working uh, in, in England from the Philippines. And uh, he, she said, she spoke, she said, I can't, Steve, I can't speak more highly of the care that he has received. You see, these issues that we talk about, they're very complex. We have people who are doing outstanding work for us. And it's so easy to get caught up in the rhetoric of some of these things. Now, today is not about politics, This is not a party political broadcast because some of the rhetoric comes from every part. Someone in every party makes comments that you inside you wince when you hear. So it's not about politics, but it is about God. A God who is compassionate and about a God who wants his people to cultivate compassion. And we need to get our foundations right if we're going to do that effectively. You see, this is much more than an encouragement to be kind. In order for us to be compassionate to the poor and needy in the way that God expects, first of all, we need to honor our maker. We need to honor their maker. You see, in Proverbs 14 verse 31 The verse seems to draw a direct correlation between how we treat the poor and the needy and what we think about the God who created them. What it says is taking advantage of the poor shows contempt for their maker. But when we are kind to the needy, we honor God. You see, for many, the starting point in this world is about us just doing good. If that's our starting point, then what we do is always about what we can afford to do and how it's going to impact on us and whether we're prepared to pay the cost of that. It's, the measuring stick is always ourselves. That's fine. But there is a higher way. There is a better way. And the Bible talks about us honoring God. And the Bible's starting point is that there is a God of compassion. You see, that's a problem for many in the world today because they don't believe in the existence of God. Many believe that science has disproved the existence of God. Of course science can't prove or disprove the existence of God. You see, ultimately, people's refusal to believe in God is a choice. It's a choice. And in Romans, we read this. This is what it says. It talks about the state of the nation, the state of our world, state of the human heart. It says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. 
being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. You see, the problem with the world is this. The problem is godlessness. First of all, the order Paul puts those words in is important. He says, godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness comes first. When we try to live without God, ultimately it leads to living for ourselves and it leads to wickedness. And what happens then is we suppress the truth. The word that Paul uses means we keep the truth down. We refuse to believe it. We refuse to believe in the existence of a God, a God who created the heavens and the earth, a God who created every person, a God who created you. People choose to believe that we exist by a random, amazing series of coincidences. The things that I look at in creation, that I look at and I see, that is a pointer towards the existence of God. Others look and wait, that just proves he doesn't exist. There are scientists, many scientists in the world today who are moving away from the argument, it just happened. The Big Bang, it just happened. They're moving away because they're they're starting to talk about something called intentional design. Many leading edge scientists are finding that the order and underlying design in nature is so complex, they cannot just accept it happened randomly. Of course, for us as Christians... It just reinforces our belief in a creator God, a God who ordered everything. Sadly, increasing belief in intelligent design doesn't mean that people are turning to God. Because at the end of the day, if you believe in God, there is a moral obligation to do what he wants, to to live in the way he wants us to live. And that imposes something on us and and, and men and women choose to not believe in God because they don't want his rule in their lives. They don't want to do what he says. They want to live without reference to him. The Bible simply says, the fool in his heart says, there is no God. You see, evolutionism and And Darwinism rely on processes like natural selection, the survival of the fittest. Here the weak and the vulnerable are killed or die out and the strong survive. It's part of the natural order. The Bible says exactly the opposite. The God who created us is compassionate and gracious. That's what we're told in Psalm 103. He takes a special interest in those who are poor and needy. And he expects us to do the same. God actively opposes those who don't help the poor. God protects the weak. To cultivate the sort of compassion the Bible talks about is not, the starting point is not just doing good things. The starting point is honoring God, 
honoring the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created each one of us. The best motivation for, compa- for compassion is a relationship with the living God. The second key to cultivating compassion is valuing every person. I remember my sister uh, going on, uh, she'd done a, a nursing, uh, qualified as a nurse. As soon as she qualified, her and her friend went on a, a tour of the, uh, the Far East. They, went, they ended up in all sorts of places, Australia, went, but went to Thailand. And when they were in Thailand, they uh, met someone, uh, a Danish lad. His name was Bendy, and um, Bendy, I think it was Bendy Erickson. And uh, what happened, when he was in Thailand, he was uh, uh, walking across the road and he got knocked over by a bus. And uh, he was lying in the road. I mean, it was a serious, serious injury. Uh, His uh, leg was severely damaged. He was bleeding badly. And everybody just walked by. He couldn't get anybody to take him to hospital. He had to, in the end, he had to beg and give his watch and money that he had for someone to take him to hospital. The crowds were just walking by. When he got to the hospital, he was uh, told, he was read the last rites. They they got a priest in to uh, give him the last rites because they thought he was going to die. They were about to amputate his leg. And fortunately, he had enough, he was uh, alert enough to get someone from the embassy involved and they managed to patch him together, flew him home as an emergency. They saved his life and they saved his leg. But I think the, the thing that my sister said to me was, it was the shocking disregard for human life. That happens right across our world. It happens in our society here today. The psalmist makes it clear that we are to value every person. The psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 14 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every person is loved by God. Every person. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what has happened to cause them to be in the situation that they're in. It doesn't matter whatever mistakes they've made, everyone has value. That should shape our attitude to everyone we come into contact with and hear about. The person selling the big issue is their only means of income. The homeless person, the person suffering with mental disability, the person in a transit camp in Calais, the unborn baby, the list could go on and on. I read a testimony at our prayer meeting last month, and it was a testimony of uh, a, a, a young girl in the church who's pregnant, her and her husband been married about a year, and uh, I'm just going to read a a, a bit out from what she wrote. Basically, when they went in for their 12-week scan, 
the baby, uh, the scan showed that all wasn't well, and she said this. When we went for our 12-week scan, we were told that the chances were high of us having a baby with a disability. Listen to this. We knew immediately that we had a very special baby. That's what she said. When they uh, uh, went on, the scan also showed that there was liquid in one of the lungs. There was apparently no stomach. There was a missing artery from the heart. They were told that the baby wasn't going to survive. A number of people began to pray for them. And at the 20-week scan, the 20-week scan amazingly showed uh, a healthy stomach, no fluid on the lung. And the doctors were saying that they were going to be able to operate on the heart. The doctor doing the scanning said that in his 20 years of scanning, sometimes things happened that were just a mystery. We know that God answers prayer, don't we? But listen to the rest of the email. This is what she said. Well, of course, we are not yet out of the woods. And we still have four months until we meet our little one. But already he has brought us and many others a lot of joy. One of the most valuable lessons for us personally has been to accept every life as a gift from God and to rejig our concept of normal. God values and loves every person exactly the same. How do we know that's true? All we have to do is look at Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. The Bible says that he is the exact representation of God's being. So when we look at Jesus, we see the most perfect photograph of God that has ever been taken. There is no God in heaven who is not like Jesus. And so when we read about Jesus, that should give us great Fill our hearts with great joy because Jesus loved people. Jesus valued individuals. Everyone was precious to him. Whatever was going on in their life, he loved prostitutes. He loved lepers. No one would go near them. No one would touch them. Jesus would reach out and he would literally touch a leper. Jesus Loved the sick and the dying, the poor and the disadvantaged. Jesus had time for the unscrupulous, people like Zacchaeus. He had time for the criminal when he's dying on a cross in his last breaths. There's a criminal hanging next to him and Jesus has time for him. He has time for the rich, the religious, men, women, children. All were important to him. Why? Because he knew that each person was created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. We are created in the image of God. And so Jesus valued people. When blind Bartimaeus is crying out to him and he's There's a crowd of people pressing around. Jesus stops for a blind man crying out on the street. Everybody else is saying, tell him, Bartimaeus, shut up, Bartimaeus. He's not interested. Jesus stops for a blind man's cry. 
Jesus cared about children. Parents are bringing their children for Jesus just to pray and bless them. The disciples are pushing them away. Jesus is indignant. Don't push them away. Let the little children come to me. Every child was precious to Jesus. When John the Baptist, one of his family members, was murdered, Jesus pulls away, wants to go away, get some time to himself, just to draw away and be near his father, be near God. He tries to get away and the crowds won't let him and they follow after him and they press around him. Instead of being frustrated and irritated, why can't they give me some space? Don't they know what's going on in my life? The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And the word compassion, the word, the Greek word, is like it's a, a, something in the stomach, in his guts. At the very heart of his being, Jesus had compassion on this crowd of people who are like sheep without a shepherd. That is what God is like about the needy and the poor. It does something in the very heart, the very guts of God. God is moved with compassion. Jesus expects us to be like him and us to value people. Whoever they are, however different, however poor, however needy, the greatest proof that God loves human beings is that he sent his beloved son to die for us. He sent his son to die that we could have a relationship with him. That's amazing. Jesus died on our behalf. God didn't spend, spare his own son. And if he didn't spare his own son for us, how much he must love us. God doesn't want anyone to perish. What about you? Do you value people? Do you care about people around you? What about the girl in the schoolyard who no one talks to, spends all her lunchtime on her own because no one else will talk to her because she's not in the in crowd? What about that lad who's desperate to be loved? Desperate to be loved. Wants someone to love him. No one knows what his background is. No one knows that at home he's been beaten. His father is harsh with him and he's desperately wanting people to love him and have friends. What about the student who is desperately lonely? Struggles with same-sex attraction. What about the boss who's controlling and manipulative? And no one knows what his home life was like when he was growing up? What about the work colleague who's always sad and yet under her long-sleeved jumpers there are bruises all over her arms? Who knows, who cares about the guy living rough Everybody just gives a wide berth to. No one knows what caused him to be there, what heartache brings him to that moment living on the streets. See, the truth is none of us know what other people's stories are. And when we start to hear other people's stories, everything changes. 
But sometimes you're not going to hear people's stories. And so you need to value people. We need to value people because they're created in the image of God. Whatever things look like, however difficult that person may be, however awkward they may be in work, we need to love people. Finally, to cultivate compassion, we need to love our neighbor. This week, uh, my neighbor came around to tell me that her husband had died, and it's a couple that we've known for, for five years. And she came, and, um, she came with a request, actually. She came to ask if I would do the funeral. Now, I, I, I tend not to do that sort of thing. But as she's sitting in uh, our house, as she's weeping, and uh, there's something in me that is moved. I can't, I just can't not do it. I can't not do it. How can I refuse? And when I say yes, she said, oh, Steve, I'm so glad you're going to do it. I was worried that you wouldn't. I'm so pleased you're going to do it. You see, these Proverbs are encouraging us to care for the poor because God cares for them. The needy, the broken, the damaged, lives that are ruined by what happens in life. Poses the big question, who is our neighbor? Well, Jesus answered that question. He told a parable about the Good Samaritan. Many of you will know it. And in it, he's been asked by someone, who's my neighbor? And the punchline of the, of the story is that everybody is your neighbor. Whoever's in need, whatever situation you come into and you see someone in need, that is your neighbor. That is the person that you need to reach out to in the moment. We are called to love our neighbor. How do we do that? Bill Hybels draws a a few things out in his book, Making Life Work, and I'm just going to take a couple of those and add a few on. And the first thing that he draws out is this, that we need to open our eyes. In Proverbs 28, verse 27, it says this, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. You see, all too often, it's so easy to close our eyes to walk away. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, two of the religious people of the day Jesus talks about, they walk on the other side. They literally turn their head away. They see what's going on, but they don't really want to see. And so they look away. Once we open our eyes, we find the poor and the needy and broken all around us. There are those who are physically poor. I remember... Annette telling me when she was working as an LSA in a school in Hampshire about children who were coming to school and they'd not had any food, hadn't eaten since the day before because there was no food in the house because their mum either didn't have any money or there were other issues going on. They were coming in to school hungry. This is Britain, 21st century Britain.
There are people struggling with mental illnesses. They look on the outside, they look together, but deep down they are battling with all sorts of issues. My daughter was uh, telling me she's working voluntary with Mind, the charity Mind, one session a week, and she said, someone, two people this last week came up to her, and they just said, you do not know, thank you so much, we, we've, we've finished our, our time here, we're moving on, but we want to thank you for just being kind and taking an interest. You will not know what that means, you treating us normally and just talking to us. Look around you, you will find people who are needy, broken, who need to experience the compassion of God. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Four years ago, five years ago, we opened our eyes to the people living on the streets of Winchester. And for five years, five years ago, we opened our eyes and we did something about it by serving the poor and the broken. We need to be people who open our eyes. Secondly, we need to stretch out our hands. In Proverbs 31, it says this, talks about a woman of noble character. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. We open our eyes and we stretch out our hands. How do we do that? Well, on the soup service, it means giving up one Thursday night every uh, other week, coming out whatever the weather, being committed to being there, to talking to people you don't know maybe, maybe not met before, people perhaps who've had too much to drink. For some, it means making soup. I know Kate Mitchell has been making soup for five years for a Thursday night. And many others have been doing it too. Making cakes on thir- for Thursday night, bringing them down to the centre of town. Not overly convenient. Stretching out our hands. There are people who are involved in all sorts of things. Martin and Julia Sanders are involved in something called Caris Kids, working with kids in Uganda, needy, damaged kids. There are people doing all sorts of things. All sorts of you are doing things. Well done. Well done. Because when you do that, you are stretching out your hands. But you're not just stretching out your hands, you're stretching out God's hands. As you do it, you are bringing the compassion of God. Stretch out our hands. Thirdly, give what we can. We give what we can and beyond. It talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 about the Macedonians uh, 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 who gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. They didn't just give what they can, they gave beyond their ability because they saw a need. This is what the Proverbs say. A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. We ought to excel in this grace of giving. The Bible's clear. We give to the church. We give to the poor. So for Annette and I, that means we we give to a charity that uh, uh, support children. So we give to something called Cry Care and Relief for the Young. Many others will be giving to Compassion be sponsoring children in compassion. We give to cat Christians against poverty over and above what we do with the church. And we give beyond that. We ought to be generous people. 
We are blessed people. We are some of the, the top percentage of wealthy people in this world. You might not feel like it, but we are. We are. The biblical principle is that we give and gain. If we give, we gain. If we hold on to, we lose. That's the biblical principle because God blesses us if we give. We've got this situation in Nepal at the moment. Just listening this morning, 7,000, at least 7,000 have lost their lives. They're talking that possibly up to 10,000 people. We've got churches in Nepal. And so we're going to give some money from, uh, 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 from our, our wider ministries. Money. We're going to give it to John Pradhan, who is in northern India. We're talking about his elders this week, to support them because they need help. Now, there's loads of aid going from nationally from the government, but we want to support some of our churches that are working out there, doing good work. We give what we can. What about giving to people on the streets? People begging on the streets. Should you give to them? What do you do? Can you believe their story? What's the right thing to do? Well, I was, uh, my stepfather started up something called Swansea City Mission, working with street people, and he was really experienced. And he said, Steve, I wouldn't ever give money to people on the streets because often you're supporting a habit. Is that right? I don't know. I've thought about it a lot. We had a, a situation not so long ago. We had um, Mark Freeman gave me a, a, a ring upstairs. Uh, he said, I've got a guy here I'd like to, uh, like to meet you. And there's this guy. He's from Liverpool. He's, uh, he, uh, his name's Dave. He's clearly been uh, living rough. And uh, he's, say, he's telling us this. He tells us this story. And the, more the, story, the longer the story goes on, I'm thinking, I, I believe it less and less. As the story went on, uh, I mean, it just got more complicated, more convoluted. In the end, I'm thinking, I'm sure this isn't true. But what do we do? What do we do? This guy's saying he needs help. And so in the end, we make the call. We put him up in a local B&B for a couple of nights. And we give him the bus fare for him to get to where he's got this job interview to be a a technical technical drawing for... uh, uh, helicopters, designing helicopters. I'm thinking, I just don't believe it. But we're going to, what else can we do? You make the call in the moment. What do you do about people who won't help themselves, never take responsibility for their own actions and always expect others to sort their problems out? Do they deserve help? Well, let me tell you this. There is no such thing as the undeserving poor. There's no such thing as people who don't deserve help. God showed us mercy when we deserved absolutely nothing. The gospel is for all. We are to be generous to all, kind to all, irrespective. We don't know what's going on in their lives. Now, we've got to be wise about how we do it. We've got to be careful how we do it. We're not to be foolish But there is no such thing as undeserving poor. The Bible gives no grounds for only being compassionate to those who we think are deserving. God dealt with us on the basis of grace. We give what we can. Finally, we speak up. 
Proverbs 31 says this, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We should be those who speak up about justice for the poor. If we do that, we can expect God to back us up. In this coming election, it's an opportunity to speak up for the poor. Irrespective of our politics, we should be looking for those who champion the cause of the less well-off. The news has been full of situations in this country where we have opportunities to take action, to help those who are needy. I don't know how about you, but have your, has your heart broken when you've heard about those people who have been herded onto boats in Libya and chucked out into the Mediterranean, many to drown, hundreds of people drowning because of unscrupulous people taking advantage of them in their need? Does your heart not break when you hear stuff like that? We want, we want our, our nation to be a nation who cares for the poor and the needy, whoever they are, whatever their politics. We live in a global world. Before God, these people are our neighbours. We need to be advocates for the poor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, I'm going to finish with this. Paul reminds us of our motivation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich, had everything in this Father's presence, enjoyed his Father's presence through all eternity. He left that behind to come to this poor, broken, sin-sick world so that we who were poor, who had nothing, who had no rights before God, might be made rich and might become sons and daughters of the living God. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. And we are people who are to bring good news to the poor. You can become rich through his poverty today if you've never given your life to Christ. It's an opportunity for you today to say, Jesus, you did that for me. I want to receive this gift of new life. You can do that this morning. Paul's challenge to us over the centuries and across cultural boundaries is to remember the poor. So as a people, let us be committed to honoring God, valuing people, and loving our neighbors. Let's be people who open our eyes to those around us. Let's be those who stretch out our hands. There are all sorts of ways you can do that. There are nursing homes, there are care homes, there are people lonely all around us. You can sign up and get involved with our soup service. Go and sign up on the front desk today. We've got a, 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 a sign-up sheet where you can get involved in making soup or cake or sign up to be a part of one of the teams. Someone will contact you. There are all sorts of ways we can stretch out our hands, but we need to lift up our eyes and say, God, help me. Give me eyes to see what's going on around me. Maybe it's some broken person in work, some damaged person in work that you need to get alongside. We need to be those who give what we can And we need to be those who are advocates for the poor. It's the gospel. It's good news. Jesus said, the spirit 
of the Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor. We're his people. God's spirit is on us to bring good news.